Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Binance Podcast. My name is Weijo. I'm the Chief Financial Officer for Binance. So, what I want to do with this show is to spend time talking to specialists, entrepreneurs, scholars, influencers, basically leading people from a variety of industries. Hopefully, through these conversations, we can share insights on how blockchain is changing not just these different industries, but also in changing the world. Here's a quick disclaimer: all opinions expressed by our host and our guests on this podcast are merely their own opinions. They do not imply any endorsements or opinions of their companies. You should not take these opinions as specific investment advice, as you will be solely responsible for your own investment. Hey everyone, this is Wei, and welcome to uh, the latest、uh, Binance podcast.、Uh, today, I'm very, very excited to have Joseph Weinberg to join me. Joe is the CEO, founder of Shift, and then a couple of other actually blockchain crypto startups. Uh, he's actually a crypto OG who's been in the industry for you know since much much longer than I have,、uh, so I'm really happy to have Joe on the show with us. And then just a side note, Binance signed an MOU or signed an agreement with、uh, Shift to have Shift basically become a the advisor to Binance for the FATF、uh, travel rule, which was announced、uh, last year, and then are starting to get implemented around different parts of the world. So today we're going to talk a little bit about Shift. Talk about the, the impact that travel the rule is having on our industry.、Uh, at the same time, we'll also go into how the world, at least from a regulator's perspective, is reacting to the current coronavirus situation. All right, Joe.、Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Wei. It's、uh, exciting to be here, even given、yeah. the global situation、uh, around us today. I'm going to be start producing a lot of podcasts over the next couple of weeks, even months it takes. To basically get people get people's mind off of、uh, the real world and maybe、uh, sync up a little bit、uh, to people within the industry. And sometimes, if you suffer together, it makes that suffering a little bit less. Because <laughs> yeah. you can basically sympathize with、uh, and empathize with basically people around you, not just in your、uh, hometown or people in your house, but actually there are people around the world who are suffering just like you. So that makes your suffering seems a little bit less. So. Always better when you're not doing it alone. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So can you just give a quick intro about like who you are?、Because、yeah. I know you're physically, I think, in Canada, and it's going to be tied there for a while. But you actually, you know, extremely, extremely well traveled, and have been in crypto for I think since the, since the very, very beginning. It seems like. Yeah. So、uh, I've been in the space since late 2010. So、uh, yeah, like really before Bitcoin was even really you know a thing that anyone would have、uh, would have known about. I would say that I was I was here before it was cool. Um, and so started kind of several businesses in the space since.、Uh, worked on some of the first early Bitcoin exchanges here in Canada.、Um, worked on an exchange called Coinsetter that was acquired by Kraken in early 2016.、Um, ran another company called Paycase Financial for the last kind of four and a half five years.、Um, Paycase was really focused on institutional infrastructure, so we were doing a lot of work with the Toronto Stock Exchange and its parent company.、Um, and over the last kind of I'd say three years now, we really kind of took a Very differentiated focus. I'm sure we'll kind of get into、um, uh, through kind of the talk today.、Uh, we really started focusing on policy and regulation,、uh, and really working on infrastructure that we felt would would be really critically important to the future of the space.、Um, and that you know really comes in the way of shift. And so、uh, the last few years, yeah, I've been really focused on 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 regulatory infrastructure and really looking at how you build decentralized systems to solve compliance problems for the space.、Um, and on top of that, actually working.、I'd 
directly on policy. So um, I've been an advisor to the OECD for the last kind of two and a half years. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit about that? Because I think in addition to your business hat, you're actually quite in touch with basically policymakers all over the world. Who all do you advise? Um, so we've kind of advised a lot of different governments and, and a lot of regulatory bodies in many different places and kind of phases. So uh, we advise parts of the Canadian government today. Um, that's kind of ongoing, more on the Securities Commission side of, um, for the most part, at least on Canada. Um, we wrote all the regulations in Bermuda. Uh, we wrote regulations in Mauritius, uh, Serbia. Uh, we were helping in different aspects on regulations in Australia. Uh, we're starting to work in Nigeria, really kind of focusing on Africa more this year. Uh, kind of, you know, as we say, we, we really took the islands uh, over the last kind of two years and moving more towards places that we think, you know, need it. Uh, so Africa will be kind of the next big focus. Um, at the OECD, the OECD is really a, a an, an intergovernmental organization, and its job is to write policy requirements for the G7 and the G20. Uh, and so through a lot of the work we were doing in the OECD, um, we were effectively kind of helping, you know, the top seven and, and of course, 21 nations in the world. Uh, so those are the ones that, you know, Canada, United States and, and others. So kind of like a broad spin, I would say, in, in, in different areas in each one. And really, I think like the, the, the reason why we did it the way was was that we. So, so, so when I see country XXX, I think one of the first ones is actually Bermuda, right? Yeah, Australia. When country XXX comes out with new crypto regulation, right, legalizing Bitcoin or legalizing cryptocurrency or setting up rules on how crypto exchanges and the value chain can uh, can operate illegally in yeah. their respective country, or you guys are the ones that's basically, um, you know, helping the governments to compose these laws and put them into. Yeah. Place. We're kind of like this, like invisible hand of of individuals that goes and helps. Yeah, and you know, yeah. So if you see regulations coming out, um, with the exception of maybe a few really large countries, we're usually the ones that are. Yeah, we're there at some level at least, helping from behind. <laughs> yeah. From that perspective, then we'll get back to shift a little bit because I think this part is actually quite interesting. How have you seen like a shift in the government's attitudes? Because they're you know, like technology, there's going to be early adopters, latecomers, etc. Yeah. So there's actually some really interesting, like kind of narratives that we realized early on. So everyone at the like governments, you know, they, they run in certain positions, but at the end of the day, like everyone in government are still people and, and people are all just as fascinated as anyone else. They all want to learn. They all like innovation. Like, you know, this idea of like what the future looks like is exciting to everyone. Uh, and so I think that there's like a big misconception that, you know, governments are not there to, to help us and hurt us. And everyone has their own like kind of opinion on it. But what we noticed very early on, was that everyone was interested and that's like the most important thing and so um and and really the earliest kind of phase of this the biggest problem is where do you get the right information like where do you get the most accurate kind of you know like actual on the ground information there's a lot of people that say they're blockchain experts um you know and everything else but like to really understand where you get the right stuff has always been i think a challenge for you know people in, in government kind of positions what we noticed early on was that the that the smallest nation states um, who were there to effectively, you know, figure out where the future of their economies goes were really the ones that were first to adopt. And that's the reason why Bermuda and Malta and Singapore and, and Mauritius kind of really were, you know, um, as a leading the charge and, and being able to move quickly. And it's also one thing that I really actually liked is that 
smaller island countries uh, really are starting to act more like startups. So they're 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 they can move as fast and as agilely as, as companies today. I think that's really important to you know the future of innovation. Um, and, and so that's the one thing that of course is just they have a tendency to move quicker. Um, what we're seeing now, of course, is there's a bigger shift on on much larger kind of fronts, um, and that's obviously a very different game. Um, but yeah, that was like the earliest one, the most interesting one, and and you know I like working with people that a like our space and who are you know interested to help uh, you know make it grow. Like for me at least, it's it's sometimes it's even difficult to prescribe or to describe the, what the opportunity is, right? Especially I would say during the early days. Yeah, I mean, like the the main thing is like. So if we believe that the world will move completely digitally and borders become less, you know, important, I would say, then the reality is that the next financial system is effectively being built today. And, you know, smaller countries or countries in general, the opportunity and the size of it is to say, look at the current world's financial system. You know, that can now and no longer needs to happen in Wall Street. And so the next logical thing is saying you bring the right financial infrastructure, regulatory infrastructure and sound kind of business environment. And that can happen anywhere. Right. And I think that that's like the biggest like initial realization. It's like this is revolutionizing the world, you know, just like the Internet. You know, we saw what the Internet did. That's no different. This is probably bigger in the scheme of it from a, you know, a capital creation and and a value creation perspective. And so that's like the initial pitch. Uh, That's a pretty hard pitch to say no to. Right. So. And in my experience, sort of face the same thing, right? Like smaller companies, or in these cases, smaller countries are, are more nimble in the way they react to different things. Like you, you can even see it today with the coronavirus. Yeah, no kidding, right? Right? Yeah. Smaller countries and smaller locations, like even in the U.S., like cities and states act much faster than the federal, right? Definitely. And, uh, whereas like in countrywide, like smaller countries can react faster and because they know you know, their own situation on the ground better. I think that's yep. what it is. So they learn to be more practical in the way they cover uh, rather than be sort of forced to play their hand by various intergroups and lobbyist groups that sometimes don't really represent the interest uh, of the people. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Coming back, government advisory role and policy setting, because obviously, you know, one of the biggest news in crypto in 2019 was the FATF announcing that they will be implementing the travel rule starting in 2020. For those that don't know, the travel rule basically says it's something that governs uh, traditional financial institutions, especially like banks, which basically says that banks need to know where that money is going, the individual behind who is receiving the funds and where is the money coming from and the individual organization that's sending the funds. And I think at that time, it actually caused a lot of controversy within the crypto space mainly because you and I got into this thing because of the decentralized and the privacy, the control nature. It's like, it's my money, <laughs> right? I am, I know I'm not a criminal, so yeah. I can do whatever. I've already paid all my taxes for my money, so right? yeah. why can't I do what I want to do with it? Um, but I think, you know, the travel rule obviously arose out of like many, many, many years of banking law, which is uh, whose goal now, it seems like, is to prevent uh, money laundering. And to prevent, yeah. you know, financing, you know, there's a C, the, the two words that I learned are AML and C is CFT, right? CFT. Yeah, counterfinancing yeah, terrorism, right? So the, yeah. these things kind of shape the banking world. And then I think right now, for whatever reason, now they're going to try to set the same, same type of rules to shape the cryptocurrency space. Can you speak a little bit about the ramifications that you guys saw for the travel rule and then sort of the, the origin and then maybe tie that into sort of the origin story for Shift? 
Yeah, definitely. So, so like effectively what the, so yeah, so, so the culmination of the travel world was actually around how, and it was actually like the interesting part is that it was built for a different reason. So when you think about, I have to send a wire, right? Like two banks, like one bank to another, like the reason why the travel rule was put in place, like partially was really that, you know, we have this thing called Swift. Swift allows messaging to occur across, you know, different financial institutions. It acts as kind of this intermediary transactional system. Uh, and it, it both helps moves, you know, uh, the money and funds, but it also uh, requires identity because back it back, you know, when when you know, well, I guess banks will do this today, but but banks effectively need to know where the money's going and who it's coming from in order to complete a transaction. And so the identity information was it was a critical requirement and a critical piece to know where money was going. Um, and so effectively, like the uh, I'll get to the ramifications in a minute, but effectively by trying to apply this to the crypto space, you effectively end up with a very, very, you know, big problem in that we rely, the, the, the point of blockchains is that we do not need to rely on a centralized, you know, uh, intermediary, as you said, like, we can allow the internet to um, help us transmit, hold, store, send and receive assets, uh, like Bitcoin or anything else. And so, uh, effectively, what the travel rule being implemented into our ecosystem um, is, is, is trying to enable is this idea that exchanges, custodians, wallets, in some contexts, pretty much any company that has a user, uh, at least today, it's not smart contracts, but it may one day very soon be, you know, you know, increased to that kind of a scope, any type of a company that has a user, the requirement is now that those companies are supposed to somehow be able to figure out when my user or one company's user is sending crypto to another user at another exchange, it's we're supposed to somehow figure out now how each exchange can identify a who each other is as an exchange, then be able to figure out who the user is at each exchange and be able to then transmit the identity information of both of our users at both of these exchanges. And, and so uh, it sounds like a simple idea. But when you really get into it, Bitcoin's whole point is that I can send money to anyone and I don't need to necessarily know the identity. I just know that they have a public key and therefore, of course, a private key. The blockchain is effectively what is allowing us to eliminate the need for a middleman like Swift. It's eliminating this need for like kind of this banking you know, infrastructure to be in place. And so that's like the beauty of what makes Bitcoin work and work so efficiently and effectively and makes this space so amazing. So we don't need to rely on anything except for a blockchain for trust. So now what's effectively being required is that all of our companies somehow need to be able to use a blockchain because we are today, not know where the Bitcoin's coming from, but it could be expected to figure out and effectively somehow allow us to move identity information to all of the exchanges and all of the different companies in the space. The ramifications of this are quite frankly, um, monstrous, like effectively what we're being asked to do is fundamentally change the way our entire ecosystem functions. It like what this does is it fundamentally changes the nature of our business. It, it changes the way in which we actually build our businesses uh, in that now we have to effectively somehow figure out how all of, identify who all of the players in the space are when the whole point of Bitcoin is that you don't need that. So it's, it's adding, having us, forcing us to add this layer of complex connectivity, you know, that has a lot of consequences. It, it means that as KYC is obviously a requirement and becoming more of a requirement, it, it means that we have new threats around data security, data storage, and therefore data transmission because we're sending the most 
confidential and important pieces of information that we have. Um, and effectively, what it's doing is it's it's basically putting this this it, it's de-anonymizing the space. And that's kind of like the whole purpose of it is that I need to know who my user is or who another user is in order to, uh, you know, figure out, obviously, if they're involved in terrorist financing or money laundering. Um, and so I think that like what we'll start to see in the next six to 12 months, this is being enforced now and this is going into enforcement in several countries right now. This is one of those things where. Securities laws are always changing, but but what FATF effectively is there to do is FATF is effectively a global governing body. It's not a regulator, but it effectively enforces a requirement on all countries. And effectively, the difference between complying with FATF and not complying with FATF as a country is you end up effectively on gray lists or black lists. Uh, and so all countries are, are highly incentivized to make sure that the regulatory bodies do implement these 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 guidance requirements and, and do it relatively quickly. And so what we're starting to see kind of now is this early big push, I would say, of all regulatory bodies uh, starting to require this uh, in, in, in the regulations. Um, it is tough and challenging because regulators write regulations differently. It's it's not all one simple regulation. So how we define it is different. It also means that like all of our companies over the next six to 12 months are going to have- What is FATF then? What is, I think it's short for the Financial Action Task Force, right? And then yeah. it's, it's an organization of, I think, regulators or government policymakers in what, 30, 100 plus countries around the world, right? And and I think most of, you know, because I started off in finance, I think most like people that work in compliance, you know, that's the governing body that's sort of like, that overlooks or has oversights on pretty much all of the banks and financial companies. Yeah. And so, yeah. So like basically FATF is all these regulators come together. It was mandated by the G7 and the G20 um, officially about 20 years ago. It's meant to obviously observe and monitor the, the financial system for threats uh, against it. And so like that's kind of like the scale and scope of it. Um, and what it means for crypto is it means that we very quickly have to build solutions that a, don't work with how the space works and and, and do this also uh, in a way that we can somehow all work together when the point of crypto is that we don't have to trust one another, we don't have to know our counterparty and all of these things. So it's it's really kind of transforming the business model and kind of the nature of how our businesses work today. Um, yeah, no, if that's the case, then, then how does your organization fit or how does Shift fit into this? Thing? Yeah, so Shift was effectively designed over many different years of a lot of innovation in the space. Um, um, we were working closely with a company called Blockstream. So we were, we were working initially on federated systems design, really the ability for us to scale Bitcoin. And we we're working on these on these new types of constructs around how you could allow exchanges to effectively not have to trust one another, but rely on a certain protocol, an open protocol like Ethereum, like Bitcoin uh, or any other type of kind of, you know, public infrastructure to be able to build certain rules and establish certain requirements at the smart contract level so that all of these businesses could effectively participate in some sort of a decentralized protocol, not have to explicitly trust one another, but allow the data sharing rules, responsibilities and requirements to all take place on this kind of decentralized system. Uh, and so that's effectively actually what Shift is. It's effectively a public network. It's secured on the Bitcoin network. Uh, the public network itself will launch kind of uh, in probably June, July this year in order to make sure that the exchanges you know, uh, are ready for this kind of incoming guidance. And effectively what it does is it allows us to say we can all join into smart contracts contracts, we can build these kind of coalitions, we call them, this ability to, to build data sharing rules, as I mentioned, 
across all of these different counterparties and really allows us to share KYC and identity information across the exchanges or across any other participating business without having to explicitly centralize all this information. Uh, what it effectively means, and the, and, the, and the regulations are going to require this, but it means that our exchanges and all of our businesses now, it's really going to come down to who we trust. Because now the, the, the exchanges and the businesses themselves are effectively data custodians for all of us as users. I mean, they already manage our assets every day. You know, the biggest ex exchanges in the world, like Binance, you know, you have the most secure and, 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 and largest kind of job for, for the entire space, right? And so it doesn't change so much for them, but it, it really changes the way in which we have to move information. Because now, whenever someone sends a transaction out of any exchange, now the exchanges are responsible for ensuring data security so that they can move privacy-based um, uh, identity information across different exchanges. And so what Shift does is it just allows us to build these rules together and allows us to trustlessly and securely, in a privacy kind of oriented way, um, blindly share identity information so that we're not um, violating regulations, but we can maintain the security of all of our users um, and the privacy of all of our users. And so it really allows us to actually solve this regulatory requirement um, for everyone. And so I think that that's like been the big focus. We did this because we knew a few years ago that once regulations started really, really heating up on the ecosystem, we if we didn't have solutions in the space that were built off the same ethos as Bitcoin, it's decentralized, uh, like Ethereum, it runs smart contracts. Uh, it can be secured not by any one party. It can be secured by everyone. Um, it has a primary currency so that it actually can be transacted and used to pay for security, all these things. We wanted to make sure that we had a system in place that the ecosystem could rely on to ensure that regulations could still be met without changing the principles or the ethos of the ecosystem. Um, and so that's really like where Shift comes in is to, is to solve this. And we actually named it Shift because we kind of looked at Swift and said, all right, well, what's what's the differentiator for the network? What's the, the Swift killer? Well, in the crypto context, it would be Shift. Um, and so you can think of, <laughs> so you can kind of, yeah, so you can kind of think of Shift as this decentralized Swift. And then what's the latest? We've signed an MOU, uh, Binance the organization, not the podcast. <laughs> the podcast is not that big. Binance the organization, uh, we have something in place, right? To sort of, uh, to take part. I would say like one of the founding uh, members of this decentralized organization that we're trying to put together. Yeah. And so effectively what's happening now is we're actually going into testing currently. Mm -hmm. So we have a variety of other exchanges. Can't announce them yet, but they'll come out in the kind of the next few weeks and months. Yeah. Some of the largest exchanges uh, in the space, obviously next to Binance. And the goal is really to make sure that we can get a system in place before the regulations A, go into an enforcement because that's what's coming next. And so the next kind of few months will be really focused on stress testing the system, really coordinating all these global exchanges and, and you know, the largest and, and not always the largest like kind of players in the space to make sure they can use the infrastructure, they can try these edge cases to make sure that this just works and seamlessly. And so, yeah, so that we can really get this thing out in kind of the end of the second and, and, and mid third quarter to make sure that you know, we have a decentralized solution. So that's really where we're at right now and really focused on. Awesome. I think that's the part covers sort of the big picture part, which is what we wanted to talk about. I think we covered mostly. I sort of wanted to talk a little bit about it, sort of like in your 
Uh, how has the last, I think, like two weeks, right? In my experience, it's basically been about two or three months because I'm in Asia. Yeah, but I think right. most of the Western world is the last, I think, immediate effect has been showing up. Uh, maybe things that this virus has stay hidden, you know, for two months now. But basically, the, the manifestation of it have been showing up for the last two weeks uh, in terms of more victims. But how has that impacted sort of your work? like as a whole because I, yeah. I think that's something that i kind of want to talk about in this series is sort of like how has that impacted everyone's work and then have we as an industry as as you know uh, different players in this industry uh normalized our settings such that we can continue to carry on our work can't you can't travel you can't go anywhere right so yeah so i mean i think that there i mean like on our side of it like we um, as much as we hope that regulations would kind of slow down We've had other partners with conversations with, you know, several of the biggest regulators and they're saying, no, this is still time to go. And so uh, especially in the U.S., so I don't think the U.S. is kind of putting on the brakes, at least on the reg side. So our work at least doesn't stop. I think, you know, as well as you guys, you know, we're fairly decentralized. And so, you know, work from home is kind of just, you know, just another day at the office, if you will, which is great. Um, I can say in Canada, at least. So I was actually flying home from Mauritius. We're working uh, with the government there on, on several projects right now. But I flew home about a week and a half ago and just like walking through the airport in, in London Heathrow in order to get back to Canada before they shut the border down. It was just the most like surreal experience to look and be like, wow, like this is, you know, I, I think people can definitely feel it. It was probably the most gloomy airport walk I've ever seen in my whole life. And, and that was kind of the start of me realizing like, OK, finally people are starting to realize like this is you know this isn't going away and, and now it's starting to affect kind of the west um and and canada's we've been in lockdown for the last kind of yeah about two weeks everyone's been working from home um i mean markets are taking an absolute beating um so you know that's you know i think you know obvious to everyone i would say that i honestly so think that people, crypto will do well generally uh, in the shock phase, right? I, like the, the, the new norm hasn't really set in yet. yet it I, seems like I think so. I, I honestly think, and I was saying this to some of my like work colleagues. I'm like, listen, like crypto's been in bear markets, you know, and starting to get better for the last year. Like, you know, we're already here. We're good. Um, and you know, everyone's been like that. I think like on and off for the last year. And so I think the ecosystem actually is. I mean, I'm I'm more you know more focused as ever. It means I get to do less traveling, which is actually good and focused. And I think a lot of people are feeling that. Actually, it's the, it, this is. I I've never done so much deep work in my life than in the last two weeks. Like, I think I did like 400 flights last year, and now I'm just like, this is just like awesome. It's like a workcation, workcation from home. Um, but no, I think that like I actually think our ecosystem is going to be like the most resilient over the next few months. Um, you know, every yeah, like the all other industries are going to go through. Yeah, we haven't seen nothing yet, in my opinion. I just saw an article on the New York Times today about Facebook experiencing the pains of uh, working from home with their 45,000 employees because um, wow. apparently they've focused on face-to-face uh, -face meetings quite a bit right, to, to drive productivity and then fly people from all over the world to Menlo Park. But now everyone's working from home. This is like working from home 101, right? They originally, the, the company had used blue jeans for the corporate uh, conference, right? Yeah, and then <laughs> and then they're like, "This sucks." <laughs> so they they started testing out other things, right? Like Zoom and people hang out. And then some engineers started building up their own. Uh, and I was like, "Oh man, these guys!" Like, I, like the first thing I learned joining Binance and crypto is like to have a good, uh, to have a reliable and stable uh, 
a conferencing service facility in Beijing. Oh yeah, that's that's the most critical. Yeah, I mean, I think like, and I heard that like, I think Google Hangouts and Zoom are both going down all of last week because they couldn't handle like the traffic. The one, the funniest thing that I was, I was talking to like to lawyer to a group of lawyers that were telling me that you know they're all and these are you know more middle aged guys and definitely not in our industry. They're talking to me about how now like all of like the legal industry and barristers and all these guys who are, are having to figure out how to use Zoom. And apparently it's just like the funniest situation because like they'll have backgrounds on in Zoom that are just like palm trees and don't know how to use, like apparently it's just, <laughs> this is just like, but what I do actually love about this way, like I gotta say, like I love the fact that this is the first glimpse in what the world will look like in a much more distributed or decentralized fashion. I think that that's like mm-hmm. the, the positive in all this is like it's forcing people who would never you know in a million years have to do things in a more technical based way to have to actually do that and i think it's a cool really interesting study and glimpse in the next kind of few months into what a fully technical kind of future looks like and what the future of work looks like so uh, i don't know i try to find positivity in all of this uh, at the same time so <laughs> it's like for me at least it's actually been pretty easy it's just basically the only thing that's different in my life at least is because we're because most of our organizations kind of like work remote anyways or work from home or work from, you know, various. Now it's like I can't go to coffee shop, can't go to my local uh, co-working space. But what is actually good about it is what she mentions, I don't have to travel, which is kind of sad because I kind of like, I think we've seen each other at conferences a couple of times and then get together and catch up. I think we'll miss like yeah. a lot of the social elements of it, but at least uh, it is bringing me much, much closer to my family. <laughs> <laughs> That's which is great, which is great because I haven't seen my wife or my kids that much last year because I was all over the place. That's the so. key. No, I think, and that's important. Like, I think that's everyone's going to start seeing that too. And, and you know, yeah, I think this will be a, a compassionate disaster, uh, uh, probably. Yeah. And then the other thing is, like, I think initially you're a little bit embarrassed to have your kids scream in the middle of a conference call, yeah. <laughs> or, or you get to turn off like video. <laughs> yeah, and then. You're not. And then you realize everyone's having the same problem, and then it turns out to be okay. Everybody has extreming kids in the background. Exactly. Yeah. I also think the crypto markets are going to do pretty well too. Like, I actually think that, like, you know, the the, the traditional stock market's getting. I think it's already seeing like the the tanking. I think last week, or you know, just for reference, uh, the the forty percent followed by another forty percent fall on March twelfth and March thirteenth were uh, were quite scary. But the thing is, is I think we've seen that before. Like the, the crypto market in general has yeah. a degree of volatility that is like much, much higher than any other markets. And, uh, and the violence in which the swings are is actually pretty, yeah. pretty aggressive. Um, but I think that, that just, but the thing is, is that at the end of the day, I think, yeah. um, at the end of the day, I think it goes back to the fundamental thesis of Bitcoin. It's like, do you trust a central organization to manage? your well-being <laughs> it is absolutely. being put to the yeah. test <laughs> oh absolutely. and i think that's the best part too right like i actually do think that bitcoin will actually perform well though in the next few months while the rest of the markets are just getting absolutely clobbered because it's you know it's just the way that like we don't have any correlations and people kind of forget that so like our ecosystem should really thrive i think in the next little bit it'll be a really interesting case study uh, to kind of see what you know what happens uh, i've become much much more bullish on bitcoin <laughs> it's not an investment fund <laughs> We have that. Uh, we have that. Uh, a disclaimer at the beginning of the show, but I've become extremely bullish on this on our entire on our entire asset class. Absolutely, so, yeah. um, it's exciting. It'll be exciting for the next few quarters to see kind of how everything plays I think out. So. All right, Joe. Thanks. Thanks, brother. Take care of yourself. You as well. Thanks a lot, Wade. Thanks mm-hmm. for having me. Yeah.
Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this interview as, as much as I did. If you like this show, please share this episode on Twitter, Facebook, Telegram, WeChat, or any other social media platforms. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Binance Podcast. And see you next time.